Hey everyone, welcome to It Doesn't Look Good. I'm the host, Tim, and this week is really exciting for me because I sat down with my best friend and probably the closest thing I'll ever actually have to a brother, Charles. In 2015, he had a seizure that left a three-year gap in his memory. On today's episode, he explains how it left him feeling alone in the experience, how he overcame the obstacles that it created, and ultimately, how having people in his corner was hugely helpful for him. So, here's the episode. So I had a, what's called a grandma seizure in 2015. I guess I could start out with that just right at the beginning. Can you spell it for us? Uh, it's not grandma seizure, which I thought is what he first said. And I was like, grandma seizure? That's a little, you know, um, old, made me feel old, but it's grand like mall, M-A-L, I believe. Um, I don't know if you were being serious for me spelling it, but there you go. No, I just, it sounds like grandma. So yeah, grandma I seizure. I to clear that up. Yeah, shiny. Uh, you had a seizure. Um, but no, I had a grandma seizure in uh, 2015. And at the time uh, of the seizure, I had uh, my first experience was waking up at the hospital and kind of not knowing, kind of being super disoriented. I don't know if, if anyone is, you know, has epilepsy or anyone listening listen to this, but you know how disoriented can be after a seizure. Um, seizures are just pretty much like a electrical storm in your brain. So um, everything gets kind of jumbled and it's not like a stroke where you lose like functionality on like your left and have to relearn words and stuff, but you do say you can hallucinate, you can, you can lose control of all body bodily functions and um, stuff like that. So I had a, uh, the seizure and I woke up in the hospital and it became apparent pretty soon. Um, I was surrounded by, um, uh, a couple of, well, one friend and one unknown. <laughs> My buddy Ricky is very awesome at like just spreading the word, helping gather people together and, and being, he's a very nurturing person and very, uh, good caretaker. So he is automatically like, Hey, you know, let me, let me have your phone. Like, here's this. And, uh, all this other stuff. And so I, um, uh, or I took, took your stuff already and don't worry about the filling out information when we can do that later. And so one of my other best friends, Matt was on his way and he, he got there and there was a, like I said, Ricky's a very inclusive person. So there was another girl in the room and I thought, you know, Ricky has bought this, brought this rando to my hospital <laughs> emergency room, which is totally Ricky. Not he, just to he, the hospital, but in the room. In the emergency room where, where you're only the allowed to be two people. In a but, gown. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and so I was, you know, Ricky was like, oh, Matt's here. Let me, let me go get him. And I, you know, it's just like Ricky to have, be out to lunch or something and then be like, with a person be like, Hey, we got to go to the emergency room. You're just going to have to come with me. I can't take you back to your car. So I thought that was kind of something that would happen had happened. And so I was like, well, actually, can you go get him and pointed to the girl and the girl, you know, like kind of looked confused and got up and grabbed like my foot and was like, I love you. And I was like, well, that's 
very odd for a stranger to say, but I just gave it a thumbs up, you know, when you, when you, someone says you love, they love you. And so, uh, you know, Matt came in, uh, so Matt and Ricky are in the emergency room and I, you know, the nurse finally comes in and is like, Hey, you know, you look a little bit better. How, you know, you know, your name and, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of foggy. I'm saying, I'm saying my name and stuff like that. And then she starts asking me information and she's sitting like on the other side of the bed. I can tell like when I start giving addresses and stuff like that, like Matt and Ricky are both kind of, I can see them out of the corner of my eye. They're just acting confused. Like what? That's none of that. And so they're kind of like motioning to the, like giving the little hand across the neck. Like don't write any of this down. None of this is accurate. So I'm not, I'm giving her my address, my age, all of this stuff. And so she's, you know, she just kind of clicks her pen and is like, you know what? We can get this later. Uh, it's not important right now. I'm just like, okay, you know, and so we're in there a little bit, you know, the EMT actually comes and checks on me. It was really nice. Um, he's like, oh, you're saying some crazy stuff, man. You thought we had, you know, uh, put spaghetti in your arms or something. You're trying to pull the IV out. So it, you gave us a little bit of a tough time there. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, cause you know, like when you have a seizure, you're, you're hallucinating. It could be anything you could be seeing or doing anything. Yeah. Um, your brain scrambled. So anyway, so after, you know, a little bit, I was like, well, can I have my phone? And Ricky's like, yeah, let me, uh, yeah. And let me give me your phone. You know, and he asks, you know, when the girl leaves, he's like, you don't know who that is, do you? And I'm just thinking like, no, I don't. I've got bigger problems right now. You know, I, I don't know your friend or whatever. And so, um, you know, he hands me a phone. It's like a different phone that I, have I was like well I need is this my phone or you let me use your phone I'm like wait what the heck is this phone because I'm like yeah looking at a, you know an iPhone 6 or whatever it is at that point and it's like two versions more than like I'm used to like it's like newer it's and it's literally slow. like you've traveled into the future yeah and so I was like this is weird yeah, like, you know at that point it feels kind of like a dream it doesn't feel real it feels yeah. like I'm kind of just in a haze like I'm going to like I'll just kind of wake up or I'll realize like I'm staring at something I recognize, but I'll recognize it eventually. So they move me into a normal room and I know like Ricky is kind of talking. I see him kind of talking to the nurse and doctor after they wheel me away and stuff like that. So it wasn't until maybe an hour or so later, they're kind of just asking me some weird questions about like, you know, what, you know, what's the last thing you remember or whatever? And I was like, well, it's like, that's kind of fuzzy. Like I remember being on the cruise and they're like, yeah. what, what on a cruise? And I'm just like, yeah, like, remember I went on, I just got back from that cruise, you know, stuff like that. And yeah, like, you were there and so are you, <laughs> we were all there. Don't you remember? Yeah. So, uh, eventually, uh, to not to shorten the story, but to, to get to the point of all this, it's like I, I had, I had lost some years in memory. And so this seizure had caused me a, a big memory gap past a certain point. It, it didn't really land on a certain, I can't be like, well, I can't remember past, you know, March of 2012, March 14th, you know, like I can't yeah. put a date on it. It just gets kind of fuzzy. So at that point it became a whirlwind. It became uh, like uh, not being able to, accept that you know and you're told something like that i mean imagine right now you like if i told you like if you woke up tomorrow and i'm like tim it's actually 2025 
it sucks, you know, like, but it's 25 and you'd be like, shut up. You know what I mean? Right. Like you just, you don't accept it. Cause that's not reality. Right. That's not what you, it's, it's a, you it's a movie. You yeah, know, it's, exactly. it's, a, it's a concept that you think of like literally a, a movie called uh, the vow, <laughs> the vow. It's like a reverse <laughs> vow. So just wait for that. Um, yeah. No. Um, so yeah. So, so crazy. Everything. Yeah. So everything that ended up being like that girl, um, to go back to that, the girl in there was actually a girl I was dating at the time. And so I didn't remember meeting her or getting to know her or anything like that. It felt very weird. Like, you know, looking back for Ricky to be like, you know, who that was and like, no, I don't yeah. know who that was. And be like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, she said, I love you, you know, and you know, there are people that, that definitely in the hospital that made me feel like you said, you guys were like, stayed away and but like my buddy danner was just saying like you know like random facts like just messing with me you know just <laughs> made me normalized it made me feel good you know yeah. like it, you you think no don't mess with people when they have a tragic event but like it helps normalize <laughs> that when people act normal like right make fun you know uh so you'd just be like you know you're this or that and i'm like okay he's like oh by the way all you eat is salad now i'm like uh you should have stuck with the other lies like <laughs> you crossed the line there now i know you're messing with me yeah and so even in the hospital there was a you know some friends came in and just checking on me and just being there and just really having some com t tough conversations off the bat as far as just being like i remember my friend jp she was just like hey you know do you remember we had a kid? And I was like, shut up. Like, you know what I mean? So she shows me like videos. So I just break down. I'm crying. I'm, I'm like blubbering. Like, cause these are like my friends. I mean, they're like, they're close, like me and you, like they're, they're just like, if they have a kid, like I would want to be there, you know, I'd be there right. for the, in the hospital. And so like, I was, I, I just broke down at that. And so the, the doctor coming in and, and seeing my chart and stuff like that, stuff that I, you know, being like a digital film major, you'd see it like, right. a, like in a script or something. Yeah. Like stuff like word you don't think of as real medical terms, most like pseudoscience like yeah. and stuff. It became like a very real concept. And it was a, it, mentally it was a spiral from the, there on out. Like it was, yeah. it was hard to grasp concepts of like, this isn't real. This isn't, happening this isn't there's no way like yeah. you know it's 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 hard to grasp on a reality there so that was the beginning of that yeah. so i don't know yeah so we were in branson i remember coming back that following week and going to your house and you had said earlier that you were giving all this information to the nurse matt and ricky were just kind of looking at each other like that that's not right. No, you were giving her your previous address. Yeah, I lived with Matt. Right, and so Matt yeah. recognized it as his address. And he was like, that's not, <laughs> the, that's no, not, not, not true. And so like you, you didn't even know you had moved. Um, I'd turned 30 in those years. Yeah. So like, I thought I was so, in my 20s. Like, yeah. man, there's tons of stuff. I was like excited to see stuff again. Like I'm a big movie nerd. So like, yeah. the Dark Knight yes. had come out. Like, yeah, we had landmark watched. Landmark movies. Right. We watched the, um, they did like a marathon of all three of the Dark Knight trilogy, the Christopher Nolan films. Yeah. And we, at the theater, when that one came out. And huh. so they started the Dark Knight Rises at midnight and we watched it together. And then... I, that same time after you said I have a PlayStation 4 I was like well you know what are you most excited about seeing the Dark Knight yeah. Rises I was like 
All right. <laughs> that Man of Steel, I'm a huge Superman fan. That I had, hope you like it better this time around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Man of Steel had coming out had came out and I remember had seen I had seen a probably a, some rumors about it and then I it was automatically a a movie already that I could buy. And so that like concepts like that were very hard to grasp over time, like just like you know, like constantly thinking, okay, I'm in this, you know, you know, having to fill out my age or any of the stuff on, on these medical tests that I would be taking for the next like five weeks, four or five weeks on and off, you know, just testing for epilepsy and trying to do stress tests. And, you know, for every one, what is that like when you go in for those tests and you are sitting in the waiting room, the emotion, the thoughts going through your head. I'm and sure. then while you're sitting through those tests too, like, what's that like? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm sure it, it's, I'm sure it's reminiscent to, or to anyone of that goes through a traumatic event. I think the most, the biggest thought you think of is just like this, this isn't happening to me. You know what I mean? Like this can't yeah, happen to absolutely. me. You know what I mean? Like that I, I hear. It feels hear, like a movie. Right. You feel like you're almost a person watching your own story happen. Right. Yeah. And so, it, you know, you're like, I hear story and I'm, I'm sure it, you know, I'm sure it felt that way to an extent with Caitlin. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, absolutely. like I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this unfold in front of me and it's like, I'm a, I'm a third, I'm a third party watching this unfold. And that's what it felt like for a lot of that, you know, and just being in those like tests and like, you know, the, so they have like a strobe light test where they're like, Hey, we're going to put you in a dark room and just surprise you with a strobe light. And we're going to have all these electrodes. That sounds or, dangerous. If, if you do have epilepsy. <laughs> well, so, you know, for every one, you know, the way the neurologists explain it for every one thing we know at the brain, there's sort of probably a hundred things we don't. Yeah. And so, you know, catching a seizure in its moments to see where it like, uh, where the epicenter of it happens, gotcha. where, you know, so, you know, sometime, uh, the neurologists in Conway, you know, seem to think like, Hey, this probably had an epicenter at the base of your brain where, you know, you're mid to short or mid to long-term memory store all this other stuff, yeah. you know, it, it's really guesswork is right. what he kept implying, which is scary. You yeah. Know, that's a scary, you know? Yeah. When you're talking about co- uh, like the, the science of it, that was a question that I wanted to ask because you know, a lot of times with medical stuff, one of the biggest questions is what's the cause? How did this happen? Right. Will it happen again? Yeah. It, will it happen again? Yeah. So obviously I know the answer to that question, but you can kind of explain what caused it. We don't know yeah. basically, but I'll let you. Yeah. So I had a, my roommate at the time had said I had actually fallen at work a few weeks before the seizure. I didn't remember it. So I couldn't report that. So they, you know, I had some coworkers that actually remind me or say like, Oh, well, you know, you kind of fell at work. Speaking of coworkers, I, I, the bank I worked for had been bought by another bank, so it was yeah, completely that's different a big systems. Part and, of the story, yeah. As a you know, I had a completely different job role, everything, and so like I had some unfamiliar coworkers I'd never met, and I had some old friends that really helped me. You know, I took I took a manual home for some of the new systems and just studied it. You want to normalize your experience to where you don't feel you don't feel different. You you want to normalize the world around you when something traumatic like that happens or you know like you said that it doesn't look good so you want to you want to bring your experiences to a normal pace that where you don't feel out of control you know what i mean you want you want to feel like okay well 
you know, I may have a seizure tomorrow again, but you know what? Like you're not, it's not going to affect my work. Like I don't want anybody to think that I don't have the knowledge that I do. You know, right. like I don't want anybody to understand me, uh, yeah. understand my disease or whatever you want to call yeah. it condition. Like I want to go on about my business. I want people not, I don't want people to look at me differently with right. p- you don't pity want or to empathy define or anything that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, yeah, exactly. You don't want to, you want to be marked by it. You right. know what I mean? Like you don't want it to be visible on you. You want people to treat you like normal. And every friend group has a couple of warriors of the group that, you know, constantly give you that, oh, man, are you okay? Kind of look and stuff. And that's always appreciated too. But, you know, for the most part, I have an amazing group of friends that just kind of help me feel normal and they're in that and, and comforted. And so, but yeah, going to tests and having them, you know, try to, surprise you or figure out if I have epilepsy with each test saying like, well, that wasn't it. And this isn't it. It's like, um, the knowledge of the unknown grows more and you get kind of, I don't an anxiety about it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's in inherent in the process. It's not something you're like, well, I'm not going to worry about that. Like it, it wells up inside you. And that kind of, uh, that when I say about mental spiral, it's just like, you know, you, each day without answers, as I'm sure is your experience too, feels like one day more that you're not in control of your own situation. Right. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot to this story and I want to cover some more of it here in a minute, but I think it's important. And what I always want to do on this podcast is ask the question, the spiritual questions. So as you're going through this and you're, you know, you don't have these answers, you're not getting new information right away. Obviously what the neurologist said is that we just, we don't know enough about the brain to know what caused this exactly. You know, what is that like spiritually? So spiritually it feels like there's a quote from one of my favorite movies, the usual suspects where he says the biggest trick that the devil ever played on the world is convincing them that he didn't exist spiritually. You know, I I've always felt like the biggest, the biggest win that the devil has or the enemy has over you is convincing you that you're alone. Yeah. And so like if you feel alone in what you're going through, if you feel isolated, if you feel like, you know, you know, there's 7 billion people on the planet. So the, the, the chances that you, what you're specifically going through have, have your, are unique to you are zero. Right. There's always going to be somebody that's had a seizure and forgot their memory. And you know, the neuro neurologist gave me a few examples. He said he had a guy that was, that had a similar experience years ago and his, him and him and his wife had like a certain code that we'd use at parties and stuff and be like, you know, if he didn't recognize somebody, they'd be like, the wife would lead in and say, well, Hey Jim, how's your two kids, Susan and Billy, you know what I mean? Like what the help him gain some of that control back and stuff. So, but spiritually it felt isolating. It felt like, Hey, my, I have the greatest friends in the world and even they're not making me helping me feel not alone, not from the lack of trying, not from lack of love or anything else, just from the experience itself, like innately doing what it was, what can happen if you let it take control of your life instead of like giving it to God. And, you know, I joke now, it's kind of an eye rolly, you know, phrase, but like there are definitely times 
towards the middle of that experience and that walk where it was a foot footprints in the sand moment where I put air quotes. Uh, (laughs) and so like i know that's like a probably a silly christiany phrase to say but like where you feel but you feel it you feel like god's the only one that can carry me through this you know like you feel like i have to lean back and i know exactly what you mean you know and, and and here's the thing that i learned during that experience is that knowledge does not bring peace uh, knowledge information doesn't give you comfort. Um, it may satisfy your mind for a little bit, but literally Jesus, like God's the only one that can bring peace to a situation. Like you think you're going to seek it out through information and learning. I mean, I did so much seizure, seizure research, say that five times fast. I did so much seizure research and so much like investigating like how people that lost their memory and say that five times fast. (laughs) I can't even say it once slowly. Um, but you know, you know, there's this, I think this dentist in Colorado that had lost her memory and didn't remember being a dentist and stuff like that. So like, but each, yeah, but each, you know, each, each, she research. can't just take home a manual. I know and it's read like, it. It's implied that she had like try to you know try to get her GED and all this random stuff like she didn't remember. So a lot of brain conditions out there, and so like all that with all that research for all it's worth, what it was worth as far as gaining knowledge into it, it didn't bring peace because it can't like knowledge right. by itself can't bring yeah. peace or comfort to you. I feel like maybe that's because the knowledge that we can gain, it's all you know, it's based here in this world versus the everlasting, yeah. you know, all powerful, all knowing God who yeah. brings comfort. And that's literally what the, the scripture says is he comforts us. Um, and, and he intercedes for us in groanings that are too deep for, for words. So one of the things about this story is that anytime any of us mention it or if we're just having a game night or hanging out and we're around people who don't know you as well or we're around people who haven't heard this story and I mention it in passing or whatever, we just allude to it. The first thing that they always say is, wait, what? And then they want to hear the story. So it's just a, a an interesting story from the start. You know, you hear that it's like you said earlier it's like it's a movie what i always think is interesting is how it literally is like a reverse vow i feel like we can talk about it now because she's married and you've moved on obviously right away so just to kind of open that up i said we were together the day before your seizure we caitlin and i were having lunch at chili's and you were actually going to propose that day and you called me and said hey what are you guys doing because it was starting to rain you were going to go to the zoo and I'll tell this part since you don't remember it because well you don't remember it so Caitlin and I were at lunch we were at Chili's and you called me and said hey it's raining I'm not going to go to the zoo because it's raining I'll have to do this another day your plan. I don't know what the whole plan was. The but story track so far. You're going to propose <laughs> at the zoo. So you guys came and had lunch with us at Chili's. And the that evening you... I don't see me day. doing that. That's, so that's crazy to me. So even my like my personality traits 
yeah. would probably changed in the three or four years, or maybe she, it was specific to her. Yeah, I think it was. I don't recall. Gotcha. Maybe my memory's gone too. <laughs> so it, uh, you know, so leading up to that, like I said, falling at work, I think hit hit my head a couple weeks before, and then I think a week before, uh, my roommate at the time had said I'd I'd just fallen. Um, he's pretty high tempered. So he was, you know, uh, I guess I'd fallen and smashed a glass, just passed out in the kitchen. You know, of course he can't believe you, <laughs> you know, he's very, what, what are you doing in there? You know, like, and then he said, came in and he's felt bad, you know, he's just like, uh Oh, you know, passed out. You know, I, I felt, I guess I felt groggy at that point. Cause I, I'm like, I don't know, I guess I just fell or passed out or something. You know, um, he said he encouraged me to go get, you know, looked at or something. I was like, man you know, whatever. And so they view the, I guess, view those as like little tremors leading up to the big earthquake, I guess. Yeah. And so, um, uh, but yeah, so in that time, I guess I'd, I'd went to propose and all that stuff, uh, uh, and plan all that out. And so I think a lot of the times afterward, you know, people are like, uh, again, not to come back to that analogy, but it's like, you're viewing somebody else's story. Like you don't right. feel you feel sad for the person, but you feel sad for them as a outsider. You're like, Oh man, that sucked to happen to that girl, but that, and that guy, but Oh wait, that's you. That's your story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, it's hard to put into words how that feel. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, that sucks. You know, I'm just like, yeah, it does like it sucks, you know? And they're like, well, you know, do you, you just try to work things out? You know, after a couple of weeks, you know, I, you know, Going back, I, you know, I guess I'd gotten just hearing the story told back to me, which is, again, hearing stories about your own life being told back to you that you don't remember. It's just crazy. Um, there's a lot of mixture of feelings there, but, you know, there wasn't any. I'd gotten to know her, like, over Facebook first and, I sure. guess, gotten to know her and gotten to fall in love with her personality and all that stuff first before I even met her. I wasn't initially like, oh, there's my soulmate. You know, let me just reconnect. And all the stuff that um, that is in movies, like The Vow, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm gonna try super hard. Like, I didn't feel the pull to do it. You know, first of all, was, you know, after a traumatic event, your 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 instinct is like to normalize. Like I said, like your your instinct is to just act like nothing happened, get back to normal, have people not treat you differently, or look at you weird. Um, and so, like, there was a whole world of of everything that I was trying to, you know, you can't drive for a year or six months or a year. I can't remember what the Arkansas rule is after you have a, a brain event or pass out, lose consciousness. And so there was a lot, I was having to be driven to my doctor's appointments and work and different stuff like that. Um, and so, um, having that, having that on top of that was just not like a viable option to like, Hey, yeah. let me pile this random, you know, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like guilt or yeah. responsibility, I guess, you yeah. know, and I was already feeling random guilt for stuff like, you know, coming back to like what causes it, you know, they'd said my, my dad had been in the hospital. So, um, I'm very close to my parents. So, you know, I felt guilt, uh, guilt for not being there for them, even though I was in the hospital, I just can't remember it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there was a, a whole lot of emotions that I was ar already dealing with that just could not be added by trying to figure out if I belong with this person or need to, to pursue that. So, you know, I just, I cut the cord pretty quickly. I think after two or three weeks and was like, Hey, let, can we meet and just 
um, told her like, Hey, I, I don't want you to wait around for me. Cause I, yeah. I felt it best to just be as honest and <laughs> it's a double edged sword. Cause then, you know, sometimes my mouth gets me in trouble, but I always feel like upfront honesty is always the best policy yeah. just to be as honest and open as possible. And so with that situation, it was no different. It was like, Hey, don't wait on me. I don't know this doctor said this could come back next week. We can talk, you know, or he said it may never come back. Said he had a patient like after six months, they started to like kind of regain cognitive memory, all this ability. I'm mixing up words, but, um, there are all types of scenarios and all types of outcomes for people with seizures and aneurysms and strokes and all this other stuff. So the brain is a crazy place. And so, but like, it didn't feel fair to be like, Hey, wait around see what happens, you know, to a person, to an actual human being. And just to be clear, you haven't regained any of those. Yeah. Nothing's come back so far. And so that's that to this day. Yeah. To this day, none of that's come back. And so at this point, you know, it's, it's part of a, a way of life where you're just like, if somebody mentions one of my friends mentions like, Oh, remember when we did that? You know, sometimes you're like, yeah. you tell me stories about a vacation. We went yeah, on. yeah. Yeah. We had gone on vacation together. You didn't remember that. So I, I just remember a lot of time spending a lot of time telling you stories that happened in that three years that you didn't remember, obviously, cause you lost all that memory. And it's weird to hear stories like that. Like it's, it's not so weird anymore, but it's weird to like have, have that come as, as a learned memory, you know right. what I mean? Instead yes. of like, instead of pulling it from my experience memory, pulling it from my learned memory. Yeah. And, and so, one of the things too, that you had talked about being hugely helpful. And I kind of wanted to touch on this because, um, I thought it was interesting is you never deleted like you just don't delete text messages and I used to because I my hard drive on my phone was so small that every five days I would get a notification you're at peak storage you need to delete some pictures or something but I don't now I bought a huge hard drive on my phone so I wouldn't have to (laughs) and I actually did that because of you talking about how you didn't delete text messages. And so you were able to go back and read conversations through those three years with your best friends and with different people. And so Mm. you were actually kind of able to catch up or I was able to fill in some gaps and stuff like that through text messaging. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, having a learned memory. Cause I, you know, I would practice, you know, people at work that now and be like, Oh, not Sarah. Oh, you know, her daughter's name is Jaden or whatever, you know, and say, and like, Oh, you, you remembering it. I was like, no, I looked on Facebook. Cause you know, Facebook for, you know, social media for all its curses was actually a really helpful tool in, in doing that. What sucks is the one messages I deleted were that, were, uh, that girl, uh, that I was dating because I had saved it under the same name. I saved under the girl that I thought I just broke up. I just put my girl inside so saved it as got my you. previous girlfriend. So the, the moment I got a message, I was like, why did I keep these? Cause I, I expelled her from my life. So I just deleted that text message thread. Cause I had, was in the habit of already doing that in 2012. Sure. Yeah. And so, uh, I think Ricky, somebody at the time was like, no, 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 no. Like, and I was like, what, you know, like I still not grasping what was going on to me. And I was like, Oh no, you know, I don't know how to use this new phone. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, um, I'm from 2012. <laughs> I'm from the past, but 
yeah so that's why you know somebody says like you know facebook's the worst and all this stuff is is, is a these things are a gross you know like they should be deleted but you know for all its curses that that was a blessing to be able to go and see pictures from even myself of 2013 14 yeah uh earlier in 15 you know like just of my own experiences where i could live actually see a picture of me in the hospital with my dad to kind of relieve some of that guilt i was placing on myself and that i would that i didn't feel like i was there for my family so like uh yeah, it's it's still you know it's not weird to talk about these days. You know, um, I think we hung out in a group even a couple weeks ago. We hung out in a group, and he was uh, one of the guys was like, "Oh yeah, Tim told me about that. Is that oh sorry, is that weird to talk about?" I was like, "Well, not now." You know what I mean? Like it's just you know you go through an experience like you know what you did can re- what you went through can relate to a lot of people, and so yeah. you know I'd even thought about like oh, you know maybe I should write some stuff down or write a book or a short experiences but like what you went through is way more like accessible like it happens to a lot more people i feel like sure. this is like a real niche niche however you say that yeah uh experience that one wouldn't, of those wouldn't it would just draw attention to myself and not actually help anybody yeah so like i don't to end up talking about it a lot but this is yeah. an experience where you get you get to turn around and say like god's the only thing that got me through this yeah you know? just to kind of touch on what you had said earlier about feeling like you're alone. One of the most helpful texts that I received shortly after Caitlin passed away was from one of the elders at our church. It was just a a story about a missionary from the early 1900s who lost his wife. I don't remember all the details as far as how that went. I would have to reread the story. But it was just so helpful for me because it made me realize, hey, as alone as I feel right now in this moment, there was a man who had lost his wife in a very, you know, he was a young man. Um, They were both young. It was a tragic thing for her to pass away at such an early age. And then it was just about how he used that to share the gospel throughout the rest of his life. And so for me, it was just a moment of going, hey, even though I feel very alone in this, as I said before, there was a man in the early 1900s who suffered through a very similar situation and so not only am i not alone now but i'm not alone a hundred years ago i'm not alone 200 years ago like there are people who have experienced these same types of situations from you know the beginning of time this kind these kinds of things have been happening tragic deaths whether you know the circumstances are, are different or not at least we can know that People have thought the same things that we've thought. People have felt the same emotions that we've felt. They've struggled through the same spiritual battles that we've struggled through in some sense. And so that was probably one of the biggest uh, and most helpful moments for me through that this, this whole post-Caitlin's uh, death situation was just understanding that hey, like, I get it. Thanks, Lord. Like, I know that you have have been helping people get through these types of situations right. since forever. Right. Like, like that's just what, what you do. And um, so it was very helpful to know that I'm not alone. Right. And you get, I've never been a 
God, why did you do this to me kind of person or like, sure, you know, why God, why me? Like, what did you do? Like, what did you do specifically? Yeah. You know, um, but I finally empathized with people that felt like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I finally felt a tragedy in my life. Sure. You know, you know, you have, I had my, you know, grandpa pass away and certain family right. members and stuff like that, but you never like when you're internally struggling, whether you're a fan of like Kierkegaard or like these Christian philosophers that have, have these deep thoughts or you're just basic, like you're just a simple person. That's just like, why God, you know, like you're asking that one question, like it doesn't, his identity doesn't change from any of those experiences. You know what I mean? He's the same person to both of those, those people, whether they're seeking ultimate knowledge about, god or if they're thinking like hey just help me in this one situation right and so like i finally was able to sympathize about why people were you know would reach out and be like to god you know because it's not you're not stuck in a situation to where you're like blaming god but you're start you're stuck into a situation to where you're kind of considering what god's role is now yeah you know what i mean like how do you lean on him how do i put kind of your your faith into the fire kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better term. But, um, I was finally able to like understand, you know, you, you don't just test God like, Hey God, if you love me, this won't happen. You know, Hey God, if you, if you, you know, like there's death and, you know, I I knew a girl that was really cool, you know, she's so cool or whatever, but you know, she lost her faith or quote unquote, um, because her, she just like, I prayed for my grandma. My grandma got super sick and she suffered and prayed and prayed, you know, and, and she died. And like, all right. You know what I mean? Like that's what, what's the end goal there? Do you, does she live on forever? Like when she gets yeah. to be a hundred, do you pray that she doesn't die then? You know what I mean? Like does she, you don't test God by saying, Hey God, if you love me and you really sent your son to die, make this the one person that lives to 200 years old. You know what I mean? Like it, it's ridiculous to send these like, um, ultimatums to God in your moment of need, you right. know, like in your moment of need, just like, um, but at the same time, that's the human struggle. You're like, Hey, you feel, <laughs> you feel special almost. And like a, you want to feel special. Like God's got your ear in sure. that. Like, um, but like I said, God gives you, God doesn't, fix your situation by making everything you want happen. God yeah. fix it, fixes it by bringing you peace, by bringing you comfort, by having a long-term plan for your life and eternity and by sending his son 2000 years ago. You know what I mean? Like there's so much in the works more than your specific situation to be. So, um, and you know, not to devalue anybody's experience, but like right. to, to almost validate it to say, Hey, God knew suffering was coming. God yeah. knew this was coming. And here's what he did to plan for it 2000 years ago, since the beginning of time. Here's how he set up a grief system for you. Here's how he set up answers for you to seek for. Here's how he set up how to pray to him. You know, yeah. like all these all these things and I know we've talked about this before how hard it is to comfort people that know that are either biblical scholars or have grown up knowing the Bible or in church because you know all the answers. That's why I always say, you know, that's why I was saying like knowledge doesn't 
bring peace. But like, you know, the Bible says if you hide that word in your heart, it's going to come out right when you need it. Yeah. Like, so if you, if you have that knowledge and you have those things, it, it's going to come out. Now it may not always like, you're not going to be happy hundred percent of the time. You're not sure. going to not question your life, but like you have a foundation to fall on. If the right. house burns down, you still have the foundation. Mm when you said earlier that it's hard to give advice or it's hard to um, like tell people who grew up in church, it's hard to tell them, you know, kind of how to deal with their grief. Or They're to, the hardest to console. Right. How to console them. Cause they know what you're going to um, say. Exactly. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for me is just, you know, again, something that you learn growing up in church or uh, growing up in the Bible belt, especially uh, is why it's so important to to be a part of the body, meaning card carrying church member. Yeah, there's not a literal card that's figuratively <laughs> speaking. Just being a part of the church, people there they are just so loving, and like you said, they help you grieve healthy. They help you get through those situations. And I will say this to those people who feel like they don't need a church to have a relationship with God. That may be true. That may be true that you don't need the church to have a relationship with God, but you need the church. You need a body of believers to rally behind you in situations like this. Yeah. It reminds me of that, that story. It's probably beat to death now. Like the guy that's, you know, was on the roof and the flood came and he's like, you know, pray to God for a rescue. A boat comes along. He's like, no, God's going to rescue me. And a bigger boat comes along. He's like, no, God's going to rescue me. And finally, a helicopter comes, you know, and he's like, no, God's going to rescue me. I've been praying like all day, you know. And of course, the guy drowns, gets to heaven. He's like, God, I prayed to you. You didn't rescue me. And he's like, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so like it, that's the same thing. Like you may ask God for help and you may be in these struggling situations or you're mentally and, or physically struggling or, or whatever. And you say, you know, I don't need a church to have a relationship with God. That's true. You don't need anything but your soul to have a relationship with God. Right. But like the more elements that you remove, the less chance, the less avenues that our God can send to have, you know, if you, if you had this church community and you went through something, you know, God can use those people to send to you, send to you. Yeah. Remove community, remove your church. If you remove staying in the word, like you know, you don't have those things to fall on. It's so important that we understand that we're not alone in our suffering. No matter what the circumstances are, there are people that are willing to lean in, to provide comfort, and to walk through the hard times with us. If you're feeling alone, please take a minute to tell us how we can pray for you by following the link in our show notes. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks again and we'll see you next week. Just in case you weren't aware, It Doesn't Look Good is sponsored entirely by Hope Against Hope. If you haven't taken the time to check out our website yet, you can do that at hopeagainsthope.com. And please consider making a tax-deductible donation while you're there. Every dollar donated goes directly to people that have life-threatening illnesses and to make sure we can continue to provide that much needed financial relief. Thanks.